Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is evening here on May the 10th. Um, I'm pretty excited because we got a uh, an early morning tea time coming up in a couple of days. And uh, as you know, golf is my new favorite hobby. And golf, I think like if sports had politics, golf would probably be Republican, right? So maybe this is the, the start of my descent. But <laughs> with that being said, I think that this is a, uh, a good transition into what we got for the people today. So why don't you, why don't you take it away? Yeah. Well, it feels like you have a morning tea time every, every day these days, but yes, I would certainly say that uh, golf is more a more traditionally Republican sport for, for better or for worse. But anyways, that is all a lead in to say that we have a really fun episode today with we're we're joined by two guests, both of whom have been on the program individually before, Nikhil Chinaswamy and Maureen McInerney. Both of them have, and I'll give longer intros once they come on, but are both experienced operatives in Republican circles and Republican campaigns and uh elected one of Nikhil has been elected before. Uh, Maureen's still working in that space to elect re- Republicans, women in, in Republican in, in Republican roles. And so they are going to bring a ton of knowledge and expertise to this. And the reason why we asked them to come back on is we're going to do a draft. We're, Ricky, we're 18 months out from the 2024 general election, which in some ways feels very far away and in some ways feels quite soon. But we're going to do a draft of Republican presidential candidates at this point in the cycle. And the reason why I wanted to do this was we weren't recording back in 2018, 2019, when the Democrats were running. But I think it would have been fascinating to do something like this every six months when, during the Democratic primary nomination process. Because I think, and I said this to you before we started, is that like if we had done this in May of, of 2019, I don't know that President Biden would have been a first-round pick. You would have had people like Sanders or Warren or Buttigieg or uh, there were so there were so many um, uh Amy Klobuchar. Now, I want to think of her because she she was the one I really like. Uh, but and then I think if that if you do it in six months, Biden, all of a sudden he's he's one of the guys. And so I uh, this is kind of why I want to track. And so we're going to run through sixteen presidential potential Republican presidential candidates from the very favorites to those who might have an outside chance to the true long shots in the field. And so we're going to give you sixteen names of people that we think are likely in obviously descending order of being the Republican nominee come next summer. I believe the Republican convention is next July. So we're what, like 14 months out from that. And my hope is to have Maureen and Nikayla back on the program in six months and to compare our draft tonight with a draft six months from now to see which candidates were the candidates that we identified tonight. Are they still really strong? Are they the ones that have continued to lead the field or have they dropped off? Have some other candidates risen up? And anyway, I'm really excited for this conversation. We're going to hit all sorts of Republican candidates 
and yeah, we'll see how it goes. But we're, we're, we feel very grateful that um, Nikayla and Maureen are bringing their knowledge and expertise to this conversation. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think, you know, obviously not being that in tune with Republican politics, this is actually something I'm I'm looking forward to. I think it is important just in general, whether you obviously whether, uh, you know, you're looking at candidates that you expect will have most of your many share many of your values or that you would think would be the right fit to represent you as a president or whether you're looking at kind of the opposition candidate. It's like in it's just sort of important to do uh, do your research, do your homework and and kind of figure out who these people are and like a plug for, you know, in a state like Massachusetts, if you're unenrolled, you actually get to vote in, in the primaries um, for these candidates. And I know it's, it's, it is one of those interesting things as primaries come about that, like, you know, only one candidate is going to, you know, effectively win a primary, but in so many ways they look at how did, how did someone do versus their expectation? Are they on the rise? Are they on the fall? Are they, you know, you know, are they coming up with that threshold of like five to 10% in a field of 10, 15 candidates, right? So like, it does matter. And it's kind of, yeah, incumbent upon us as voters to know the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why I'm particularly excited to bring Nikhil and Marianne, because I think it's going to be a good learning experience for all of us. And hopefully for everyone out there listening too, because so much of the news coverage is dominated by the former President Trump, and then maybe a, a sprinkling of other candidates at the top, but being able to talk about many other candidates and look into the potential for them. And maybe you hear a name tonight that you're like, oh, I want to look her up, or I think, oh, he sounded interesting. And, and I think that's probably good, like you said, for everybody. But let's, before we bring um, Maureen Nikhail on, quick reminder, everybody, the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky, a lot of the leading presidential candidates on the Republican side are controversial. But as you know, all publicity is wood publicity. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get good good, good reviews for that joke. But if you want to find a company with good reviews, you can go check out Cannon Hill Wood. Uh, if you, they have wonderful products and wonderful reviews. So um, products that are far better than puns like that. But, Ricky, let's bring Nikayla and Maureen on and get into this draft. Let's do it. All right. Well, we are now thrilled to welcome back to the program two former guests in Nikhil Chinaswamy and Maureen McInerney. Both of them are longtime Republican operatives. Uh, if you haven't listened to their previous episodes, it's worth going back and, and listening to them. Uh, both uh, friends of mine and people I've got to know out in the campaign trail and out in out in real life. Just quick bios for them. Nikayla currently works for the Initiative for Competitive Inner City, ICIC. In that role, she is the director of Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses, which means that she manages the team and the program nationally in terms of like recruiting 
over 7,000 diverse and under-resourced small business owners from around the country every year. Prior to that, Nikayla worked campaigns all over Massachusetts. She was also elected as to the Republican State Committee here in Massachusetts. We spent some time on that that whole saga in the previous episode. Nikayla was on. It's worth listening to if you're into that. Uh, but so Nikayla is back and, and joining us. Uh, prior to all of her work in Republican politics, she worked for the Pan Mass Challenge, which is a cause near and dear to her heart and continues to be. I mean, she right now lives down in Baltimore, Maryland. And Maureen Mo McInerney is back. Uh, Maureen works for the Women's Public Leadership Network, WPLN, where she's responsible for fundraising, development, and external affairs at WPLN. Prior to her role there, uh, she worked for a Reflect Us coalition, as well as Republican political campaigns in Massachusetts. And she also worked for the think tank Mass Inc., which focused on like state and local policy involving gateway cities, education, criminal justice. She also served as the vice president of the Log Cabin Republicans of Greater Boston. So thrilled to welcome uh, Michaela and Mo back onto the program. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's great. I think we have... So we're doing this this draft of potential Republican candidates. We have three of us at least have and three of us have uh, experience in working in Republican politics. And while we share many of the same views and philosophies, we also have many different views. And so I think it'll be fun to get our different perspectives and then get a a non Republican perspective from from Ricky as well. Just as a reminder for people, this draft is Republican candidates that 18 months or I guess about about a year from now, um, who's going to be the Republican candidate for president. We will discuss whether we think these people should be the Republican candidate for president or not and their value, like electability versus maybe some morality or how good they are as a candidate. So we'll get into all of that discussion, but we're going to be drafting based on who we think is most likely to be Republican candidate. We drew for draft order before we started. So Nikayla is going to be picking first. Ricky is going to be picking second. Mo is picking third, and I will be picking fourth. This is a stake draft, which means that it'll go in reverse order. So after I pick fourth, I will also pick fifth. Mo will pick sixth, Ricky seventh, Nikayla eighth. So without further ado, again, this the way it will go is someone will make a pick, they'll explain their pick, and then if anyone else has any comments, we can hop in to, to discuss. Uh, but again, I will turn it over now with the number one overall pick in the May 2023 Republican presidential candidate draft. Uh, Nikayla is on the clock. You need like that boom, 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 that like song from the draft. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no shock. No one will be surprised. I'm going to take Nikki. Um, I, partly this is like a want and desire more than a, I don't, I would love to see her, but I don't know if she'll actually make it out to be the nominee, but I just, I would love to see a women Republican as a nominee, of course. Um, I like that she's a diverse woman too. That has always been, um, so in that sense, I, I like a lot. I will say, I do think she's very vulnerable though in the sense that she has gone back and forth on a couple of issues and a couple of things and just gone with the tides a little bit over the last six years and I think that could make her definitely vulnerable in the in the primary I mean especially but then even also in the general if she if she were to be the nominee so I would have concerns about her being the nominee but at the same time I, I would definitely want her to be nominee just to see a 
minority woman as the as a nominee for the Republican Party. Yeah. So not surprised. Yeah. What do you mean by like go with the tides, Nikayla? Like, what are examples of that in your mind? I I will. I think um, in like twenty what was it like twenty nineteen? She really did lean in with some of the Trump administration and some of those things. I think, and I saw it more. I was actually a little bit off of her brand, honestly. It's going into like just to kind of win some of those voters more of. And I, I mean, we also were then like in 2020 and later years, DeSantis did a better job of that. I mean, that was, he, didn't, he wasn't leaning in, like was his, it was his platform more of it. So I actually liked her platform better in like 2016 and earlier than in the last, I guess it's seven years now. But um, I think, I think she's kind of gone towards the party base more in the last seven years. And, and in that sense, but again, that's because I'm definitely, not as far right as the base so that that is part of it too some other people might like her better for that you know yeah I think like looking back to her time as governor one of the things that stands out at me is that she was the first governor in America Democrat or Republican to institute police body cams um and that was after the Charleston that was actually after a shooting but she also was governor during the Charleston shooting which was a hate crime um she removed the confederate flag from the state capitol she has all these great general election bona fides um, but I agree. She ran. She's been running right. I don't hate it. Um, and reading her book, especially like being on the foreign policy stage and with all of the the sort of like negotiations and the way she sort of breaks down and can explain her rationale and the Trump administration's rationale, I really like. But um, yeah. What do you think about just like the general association with the Trump administration being the ambassador to the UN? Like, is that does that hurt her directly does that help her how how is she kind of going to try and navigate that sort of aspect of her candidacy i think it's both it's so hard it's going to be her strength in the primary and her weakness in the general so it's like how do you survive both in all of those aspects i think it's exactly like any any part of the trump administration like anything she can but i think in some ways it's not necessarily going to help her in the primary because she's not going to be the Trump I mean obviously Trump's running so that's first of all and then second like people who de facto Trump would I would think would go to DeSantis so it's that's why I guess I'm a little bit confused or I don't know and, and the strategy there is interesting and that's why I, I even though I like her I don't necessarily think she'll be the nominee is because that kind of like she's a little bit too much of that middle ground um which for second voters like me love but most and, and primaries um makes it really tough yeah yeah, her lane is. You go, Brendan. Yeah, her is is definitely narrow, but it's and I think there are other candidates who are going. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about them. Who are going to have to try to play that, like walk that fine line. But I do think she has things going for her that those other candidates don't. And that if people are turned off by both Trump and DeSantis and don't think like. Again, we'll get to all these other people that maybe they don't have it. She's got, as, as Mo said, with like her experience as a governor, as Ricky acknowledged, like her experience with the foreign policy as the ambassador to the United Nations. She's got some things and she's she's young. She's dynamic. She's a good speaker. I know she doesn't want to run an identity politics, but the fact that she is a woman, an Indian American, I don't think that hurts her. Um, and so she I think, again, it's a narrow lane, but it's 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 a lane that's there. And it's wh- whether or not she can do it, I think will be fascinating. I also think it depends on the appetite of like, how much do people want to talk about foreign policy? Like generally Americans like are only going to know like headline issue. 
um, like, like one day, if a world actor does something crazy and it becomes news, she's qualified to speak on it and can, you know, if that happens to be the day before a debate, she'll run laps around the rest of the field. Um, and I think that that will make a big impact, but the American people are not paying attention on a daily basis to those issues. So it's a hard strength to like play into. But the gender card is definitely, but what does Melville know the stat on like what number, the largest voter base that's growing is conservative women, right? So like that would be who I think is going to be her base. So definitely important, yeah. I, I also think, uh, yeah, her, her, like one of her go-to lines is on our worst day, we're blessed to live in America. And we are increasingly in times where like that is a reality. And I think that's more powerfully delivered from a woman personally, but. Yeah, two two final points with that is one that we know that Trump got shellacked with women against Biden, and that was one of like his the gender gap was massive, and I think DeSantis could also be weak in in that area, and so that's another area like we're we're talking about Helene, that's something she could really um, capitalize on, and two, well, we talk Ricky and I talk about this all the time, where like presidents really their number one job in a lot of ways is foreign policy, but like so little of like the debate and the the discourse around presidential candidates is foreign policy, which is it's always frustrating to us. So, but again, I'm sure it's frustrating to her too. She's going to want to talk about that because that's what presidents do. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Ricky, you're on the clock with the second pick. Yeah. I mean, I guess not, not that I need this disclosure, but being the furthest left on our political spectrum of this panel here puts me way, way out of my depths in, in Republican candidates and policy, but um, I'm going to give it a go. I, uh Yeah. I'd, I'd say like of the two that people would assume that I would pick, I would like to see neither of them be uh, be this far ahead. But I think at this point, although his stock is feels like it's on the downswing, I'm going with Ron DeSantis. Um, I, I mean, his pitch is like all of the Trump politics without the Trump baggage, uh, whether that is at like whether Trump's sort of like the social policy social policy type initiatives that really helped him in 16 and sort of like got him a lot of momentum in 16, whether those same ones are really in the kind of like crescendoing in the same way for Ron. I'm not sure. Like it does feel like he may have peaked a little too early. He was kind of benefiting from running a little bit under the radar. And then really a lot of national news outlets started picking him up and being like, well, this guy could really be, the main contender to Trump. And in some ways I think it's hurt him. I think his like focus on some very like niche issues though are really good at riling up the sort of far right end of this, the, the base are probably going to make people wary when they're thinking about electability going to the general. But at the same time, I think the Republican party is still somehow a party of Trump ish and Ron DeSantis is like that uh, alternative that if you like the Trump politics, but you don't like the Trump, you can you can go with him. So reluctantly, I'll, I'll throw Ron out there. <laughs> yeah, totally just like, pick up like kind of where I left off with Nikki, too, is like, unfortunately, I think Ron's Ron DeSantis' biggest weaknesses are that he's coming across lately as sexist and homophobic in a way that like. I don't think fully represent who he is as a politician, but it's a weird time in the world right now. And it's baiting to the primary voter. And 
like, whereas I want us to like contrast more and more and more on a daily basis with nations like Iran and Afghanistan that are oppressing women um, and members of the LGBTQ community. Like that is not the contrast that he's setting up for himself, um, which is like wholeheartedly disappointing because I think it's where Republicans can lean into the freedom for all kind of message. Um, and he just is not a good messenger for that. But young family back in the White House for the first time in a bit would be, I mean, it is appealing, like the political, like, like poster, um, I think kind of sells itself, but. And I think it's like a numbers game. I mean, Florida being that he's from Florida, I think he's going to pick up just, just those numbers there. And I think there's a lot of like Rubio 2016 primary voters that he could potentially pick up to there that, maybe didn't vote for Trump in 2020, you know, like, but would, but kind of want to go back to the Republican party, but to exactly. I think you said it really well, Ricky, and like the want to vote for Trump, but don't want to vote for Trump is the best way to say it. Like just the numbers are with him. I think the question there is like, do, do he and Trump split that vote? And, and does that make somebody like a Nikki Healy, like take, like, does that give her more leverage is, is what we're all like wondering. I'm sure there's polls that have been done on this that I've not read, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I Brennan and I talk about this all the time. Like, who is a kind of a front runner in the in the primary when you're going for if you get twenty to twenty five percent in a 10, 10 person field, you're far and away, you know, leading the way. And who is actually like electable or like who you know who you could kind of get, you could start to leech some of those folks of uh, folks in the middle, whatever the independents in the middle, who you could pull them over into the party. And I think what you articulated with Nikki Haley is like absolutely right. Like having a female candidate, one who is appealing to conservative women, but probably has more broad appeal to just women in general, especially against a candidate like prospectively Joe Biden, um, that that works really well. But is that enough to get you out of the Republican primary? Like it almost feels like if, if some of the more, I don't know, I don't really necessarily consider Nikki Haley moderate uh, Republican in, in many ways, but like, if there was kind of a coalescence again in here are the Trump candidates and here is like, here is your singular alternative to the Trump candidates. I think they, they, it feels like they might have a better chance that way. Sure. Uh, DeSantis, we talked with him before, but, but on paper, tremendous candidate, not only he's got Yale grad, Harvard law grad uh, served in the Navy was was elected to Congress from Florida, is now the governor of Florida. Tremendous on paper. Obviously, he was kind of anointed. He still hasn't declared his candidacy, even though for all intents and purposes, we know he's running and he's been campaigning largely for months at this point. But he just got the Florida legislature to pass a, a bunch of his like pet priorities, which, as Mo alluded to, are not necessarily uh, popular general election policies, but are, are probably pretty good primary policies. And... It's, I think the fear on the other side is, is he another Scott Walker? Scott Walker was anointed the former governor of Wisconsin back in 2015 as like, oh, this is going to be the guy and then totally fell apart in the main stage. And they're concerned with DeSantis around his like retail politicking, his personality he doesn't seem like, you know, the guy that's going to engage a room really in like in, in states like Iowa and New Hampshire that matters. On the other hand, he has a massive fundraising advantage he's got i believe 110 million in the bank which dwarves even what president trump has let alone any of these other candidates so if and when he declares in these next couple weeks i think he's really favorite 1b 
to who I expect Mo to pick with the number three pick, but I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> with the number three overall pick, I'm obviously going to go with Donald J. Trump, President Trump. I can't believe he was there. I can't believe he was there. I was trying to Google last big snub during a draft <laughs> because, like, I know it's cynical and I know we all want to believe like, in, but it, there's at this point, can we pull, have we ever pulled higher name ID on a single person? It is ubiquitous. Every single American knows who Donald Trump is. They may not be able to tell you whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, but they've heard of him. Um, and, and I just, that, that carries so much weight. His, ground game has already been built right like he brought new voters into the fray as long as his name is on the ballot the people he brought to the table are going to stay with him um you know per like traditional logic which i know most of that is out the window but people are proud individuals and this is you know it's kind of hard to divorce yourself from the person that brought you into the fold. I think that's a challenge that's going to be posed to every other candidate. Hopefully it's record high turnout across the board because every candidate should be looking at what he did last time around, last open primary, and saying, how do I bring new voters in? Um, you know, and I, it's not like every day was the catastrophe that the Democrats cast it as during his presidency. Um January 6th was a catastrophe and insurrection. Um, but I think his playbook is going to be to point to the larger themes, the cost of living, the interest rates, the sort of like day-to-day -day kind of stuff that we could return to quote-unquote normal or make America great again. Um, and yeah, I, I just think, I don't think any attacks hurled against him do much damage to his core support. Um, two impeachments unsuccessful, so members of Congress, anyone with political capital knows that that these bullets are sort of bouncing off. So obviously he is the front runner in the Republican primary. I do think Pergen Nassour, who's a mentor of mine and also, you know, close with Nikayla and others in this group, um, you know, Jen told me back in 2016, she goes, he will not let himself go to primary election day if he's not going to win. You know, like, she, like he would drop out out of pride if he knew he wasn't going to be successful in that primary. And she was so right about that. And so I also have to stick with that logic that if he bows out, it's because he knows that he would not win. I'd be shocked though. He's such like a prideful guy. I just don't see, I see that also as him, but I, I get what she's going with with that, but I would be shocked to see it too. I think. He'll find some excuse. I mean, he'll be like, I can't trust this. I can't put my name on a rigged ballot. Da, da, da. I mean, he'll, he'll make fake it. A, he'll fake it. No, he'll be sure of his own ego at any cost. But um, yeah, that's sort of the hope that burns eternal for folks like me that still believe in the party and the values that could be that could be carried by another standard bearer. But um, yeah, I hope he I hope he doesn't make it to convention to the nominating stage. But you think any of his legal troubles could take the sort of decision out of his hands? I don't. I just don't know that it would, like, do any of them preclude him from being in the political process? Like, Buddy Cianci ran for governor, like, from jail. Not from jail. And but won. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, 
I don't know that legally it stops him from making the ballot in any state. I mean, unless there are, and I don't think that we're at 26 plus secretaries of state that would all of a sudden like have a statute, but I don't think the people would tolerate that either. Like, so if there's not a statute already that says, you know, you can't run from jail, the only thing that could have stopped that was that second impeachment. Like if that was the whole like reason for impeaching him the second time, if you impeached him and removed him from office, he wouldn't have been able to run again. And that failed. And I think people, if I know that, then people in Congress knew that and knew that this was like a fail safe for a switch to flip and they didn't. Yeah. He's currently doing a town hall on CNN in New Hampshire right now. And I was watching right before before we came on and like Caitlin Collins, the, the moderator who's excellent was like pushing him on this. And he would just, he would just say that the elections were rigged and she'd be like, that's not true. And he'd be like, yes, yes it is. Like, and, like, and if like Caitlin Collins, who's like 31 years old, super smart, super on top of it was like pushing back on him. And he, he just like, just didn't budge at all on his position. It's like, there's no way on a primary stage, anybody, including some of these people we're going to get to later, let alone a Joe Biden is going to be able to push him around. Like there was just an ABC. I don't know if you guys saw an ABC Washington Post poll that came out this week. And it was Trump. If it was Trump Biden, 2024, Trump 44, Biden 38. And if it did, it was for undecided voters. If you had to pick one, Trump had 49% to, to Biden's 42%. It, like they asked, she asked Trump, she was like, what about you just got convicted of sexual abuse and def- defamation yesterday? Like you were on trial in, in New York and criminal indictments. You're under investigation in D.C. and in Georgia. He was like, my poll numbers have gone up after each one. I'm not worried about it. And quite honestly, like he's not wrong. Like That doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. Like his like wanting to sort of be a, a martyr for his own cause like this. Anytime that something like this happens. Yeah, it's 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 a boost for him, which is. I don't Yeah. Telling, I, I suppose, but not surprising. And and he is a very good debater. That's the part that like, I, I always forget because you don't expect it, but like he is actually, cause to your point, right. He just like shuts it down. He just like, or causes chaos, like all those kids, like primetime TV, it really is. But um, like, he is very good, unfortunately at that. But I think Maureen hit on the head with like, there are people who are going to vote for him on the ballot or not vote it's not a question of who he's not going to win voter like they're just going just to vote for him period and or they're not voting it's not like those votes can be flipped or anything like that at all yeah yeah and his base is just bigger than everyone else's so yeah i'm, I, no, I'm, I'm surprised he fell to three but uh, yeah i think excellent pick to snap my bullies there all right mm-hmm. i am on for picks four and five for pick number four i am going to take i'm gonna go back to the state of south carolina for the second time in the first round and take Senator Tim Scott, who is has formed an exploratory committee, uh, looks likely to run at this point, although he hasn't declared yet. Really interesting guy, and I think really interesting that the state of South Carolina has produced two leading presidential candidates. Um, he has uh, been a senator now, uh, he's in his, his second term. He has kind of made his he's very popular and and is in Congress, and while he's not one of the most well-known senators and that's definitely a, a, a problem for him as Mo kind of alluded to with name recognition it's hard to find some people with bad things to say about him he has done a, I think a really nice job of not alienating any of the Trump voters but also not necessarily falling in behind Trump like his fellow senator like Lindsey Graham in, in some ways he's, he's walked that line nicely I, pretty much as well as you can I think these last six years He's known for uh, creating legislation with around opportunity zones, um, which Nikhil, I'm sure, is particularly close to to your heart. Um, and 
he, I think he tells a really good story. He grew up in a single parent household in, uh, in South Carolina with, uh, with a single mother who really pushed him. And, and th- thanks to that, he's, he's very positive. I think he reminds me a little bit. He's also black in case people don't know that, which I don't think is, uh, I, I don't think it's something again that he would run on, but I think he, he pushes back strongly both in his, in who he is, but also his rhetoric against what a lot of people term like the woke's left, like racial politics, identity politics. And he's, he's, he's very positive in the same way Nikki is about just like America and the American dream and vision and being like this, I've lived that. So I can talk about that. Uh, I think he reminds me a little bit of Cory Booker's campaign in the the democratic primary back in, in 2018, 2019, where I feel like Cory Booker was trying to, sell this message of like hope and like bring like unity and bring people together and people are looking for positivity and it turns out people are not looking for positivity and I, I worry about that a little bit with senator scott that i think he's going to come out and really try to preach this like the beauty of the american dream and i'm not sure that the republican base is there for that but i'm really intrigued to see if and when he does declare what he does i think it is you know it's relevant to the extent that it is that he's a black man as well, um, running as a Republican in the primary. I mean, I was reading Politico, um, like their breakdown. I'm sure we all read this, that in prep of like, you know, who's likely to run, who's whatever. And they said this about Larry Elder that like, they pointed out that black candidates in the past have been top tier candidates, like Dr. Ben Carson, like Herman Cain and just the fact that like Politico is referencing like, well, well, he's black. So he has a shot in the Republican primary. It's not, not true. Um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I would like to select the optimistic half of the reasons why that might be, but he is an amazing speaker. I mean, if you haven't been in a room with him, I've been in small rooms and large rooms with him, and I'm 100% captivated. The retail politics that was mentioned earlier that Ron DeSantis might have a problem with, I mean, t- uh, Tim Scott could write the book on. So, And yeah, you mentioned Opportunity Zone legislation. That was an Obama-era policy that was a part of like you know the big omnibus budget, and he carved out this opportunity for investors to profit by partnering with the people that need it most, which for those of us that believe in small government... It just routes dollars exactly where they're supposed to go without filtering it through some bureaucracy. Um, and if we can just like get that message, that simplification of the problem he's solving out to voters, I think he could swing voters um, in a general. Yeah, I, I read that same sort of uh, allusion to Ben Carson and um, and Herman Cain. And I thought it was it was almost like doing a disservice to Tim Scott in terms of the seriousness of his candidacy, but in a weird way, almost makes me think that Larry Elder could have a better shot because he's got some of this, like the wacky appeal that the Ben Carson's and the Herman Cain, like who could forget the Papa John's uh, tax policy, nine, nine, nine or whatever he was going for. So like there, I mean, I, I guess, and I, and I didn't sort of bring this up with Nikki Haley either, like how ready is the Republican party for this type of candidate to come out of the primary system as it is. No, I think that's ever been like just from the, from the inside, right? Like from what Republican state leadership committee has done from like the efforts that the GOP has done from, if you look at the state and local candidates that they've been running, like 
the system is primed for diversity and it's finally on the right set of talking points. Like we're not colorblind anymore. It took us like five or 10 extra years behind the Democrats to like drop the word, like the term colorblind. Um, but we're still not playing identity politics in the same way, but we're at least primed and, and Senator Tim Scott, um, you know, even like Marsha Blackburn, who's obviously not um, a person of color, but they have been the leaders from the U.S. Senate down to the states of recruiting diverse candidates. Um, and so I've seen that effort like play out ground game wise. So he should have decent name ID in swing states because he should have been like on the ground kind of working on their legislatures. He has, he has, so I saw him speak because he's been on the small business, he's on the small business committee, I think. Um, and he actually, I completely agree. He speaks so well. I think he'd do so well in general. I just think he has to survive the primary. And to your point, Ricky, I think that is the problem with like, I think any diverse or female candidates would do better in the general. Um, but it's just, can they make it out of the primary for the Republican party is, is we eat our own <laughs> definitely like so I, I don't know I would push Mo a little bit more on that I think like I think we think I think it's five years behind like when you think you're ready you're actually ready like I think they like so I don't know if it happens in 2024 I think it's more of a 2028 kind of thing unfortunately but I would love I, trust me I will vote for it in 2024 I would love it to happen I will advocate for it I'll give my money to it but I just I don't know. I don't know if I truly believe it yet. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, now that's we'll, we'll wrap the first round, and that's where we're going to spend our most in depth. And so we'll we'll move it a little bit more quickly. These are candidates who we still think here in the second round have a shot, but more of an outside shot than the four individuals we named previously. I'm going to stick in the South with the fifth pick and take the governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. He recently declared. Uh, Interesting guy. Not, I kind of heard his name a little bit in the last few years, but didn't know a ton about him. But the appeal of his candidacy, if if you know, if, if he's making the pitch to you, is that he's someone that has a lot of governing experience. Where you know he's coming off two-term governor of Arkansas, he's someone that can speak about controversial cultural issues in a way that speaks to a lot of poor Republican voters, but also doesn't turn off the moderate voters. And so, on things like abortion, he's come out and said that he believes that it's a, a state level thing on, on a federal level. Would he sign one? It depends on what it looks like. If uh, he rejected a bill that was put on his desk, banning trans uh, medical chair, medical care for transgender people on, on guns. He's, he's a hunter, like very, he loves talking about like he's a duck hunter, but also isn't against putting some potential regulations around guns. So he can talk about all those things in, a, in an inclusive way. And you know, kind of like Ricky Jen was talking about, like broaden the tent and so that, that would be his path is someone that as I feel like in a more traditional Republican primary, someone that's a two term governor of a southern state that can point to legislative accomplishments in his state and also being able to broaden the tent would be a strong candidate. I'm not sure how, how much of a chance he has in, in real life, but he said he's like, hey, I've got a shot at some point if, if people look at Trump and DeSantis and. That's not for them. They're going to be looking for an alternative. Why not me? My thoughts are just that Mike Huckabee tried to do it from Arkansas, from the same background and failed. And I know on the ground in Arkansas, at like the caucus, at the county Republican Party level, 
they are already having votes. They don't mean anything, right? But like passing a resolution that we will not support former Governor Hutchinson, we will support President Donald J. Trump. Like that's happening on the ground in Arkansas. And those are the primary voters. I think it's always a bad look to lose your home state. Um, so it's almost like being from these deeper red areas, like doesn't help you necessarily, right? Like winning the South Carolina primary is a lot more, oh, like ears perk up than winning the Arkansas primary, but definitely losing the Arkansas primary as the former governor, bad look, like disqualifier. Fair enough. All right. Uh, let's, let's throw it back to you, Mo, for pick number seven. Pick six. Pick six. I'm going for uh, a man that I did not know anything about before a month ago, but Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, He's hot, hot in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, gang. That's how the draft worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he is able to sell fun more than anything. I mean, that's my main motivation for picking him. He's young you know, interesting. I think people will pay attention because they have to, because he'll go on like digital ads or something, you know, he'll be at that like forefront, definitely not politics as usual in terms of just like how he's going to reach voters. I don't think it's really going to do anything for like the base, the caucuses, the um, folks who wear the kind of flat brimmed hats that Jeff Deal literally got made with his logo on it. You know what I mean? Like that's what I picture a Republican primary voter to look like. Um, but who knows? So, yeah, I had not heard of him until like I, the New York Times did like an op-ed on his candidacy recently, and I I think it is well besides the ability that he'll be able to hang out in the primary for a while just because of the amount of money that he's going to bring from his own money that he can bring to the table, but that the article seemed to think that he has quite the like YouTube and that kind of like social media following. Whether it's still niche is, is one thing, but I, I I think it'll be interesting to see if sort of that helps turn out kind of like a younger Republican, probably more like younger Republican males um, in, in his direction. I think he he speaks well. I, think he, I mean, I've listened to a few of his YouTube videos there. I think some of them are crazy, but they like they're articulate and definitely for that like younger demographic that falls in line with um uh, yeah, uh, the people who've sort of become famous on on YouTube, um, Kelly, all their names are escaping me, but you'll 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 know who I'm like the Jordan uh, Peterson or Peterman or whatever his name is, like that that kind of um, just like energizes those people into thinking that like they've found the guy who's going to lead them forward. I don't know if he'll be able to like catch fire enough to really make a difference, but definitely someone to to at least keep an eye on. And with that, you're back on the clock, Ricky. Yeah, I told you that I had like six people and like the Hutchins and I didn't even I didn't know that he was that he was out there, let alone declared a candidacy. I I mean, I think. I guess I'll go with someone who I hope kind of makes a little bit more of a push for it, someone like a Chris Sununu, basically, you know, socially moderate, fiscally more conservative than kind of well than any of the democratic candidates kind of thing um i think that as a like in the direction that you know maybe i hope the republican party will want to go is somewhere along those lines that can i mean yeah if you want to sort of preach the personal liberties kind of thing 
I think that falls in line with um, some of the social policy that a lot of Democrats could get on board with. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the we talk about government spending a lot, and I think he could be a candidate that that does well in the general. Do I think he's got a realistic shot of getting out of the primary? Probably not. I mean, popular his highest approval rating of anyone we've talked about yet. So that's the one that he's got going for him, right? So, yeah. Back to me. Uh, okay, I'm debating. Do I stick with my women theme or do I pick a more viable candidate? No, I'm like. Well, you got you got the you got the next two picks, so Nikayla's gonna be wrapping yeah, up. Okay, that makes it Okay, that does me. Okay, so I think I'll take, I'll take a more viable one, and I'll take my woman candidate. Um, I do think Pence will run at least for a little bit. I think that is one. I mean, I I really don't know what he offers that Trump running doesn't like. I, I but I think he will. I think he made some strategic moves right after January sixth that separated and, and through the last like month or weeks really of the presidency that like separated himself from Trump that just told me he was going to run like he wants to make and I think he has a good base in the Midwest that likes him more than Trump and felt like you know those who have kind of like a small group but those have who have de facto from Trump would easily then go on to him so I think he's he's viable in that sense um be that right into my yeah, I, I think the traditional like evangelical conservative who mostly went with Trump over these last six years, if that base is looking to be peeled off and maybe maybe there's a portion of them with some of these trials and some of the the, the allegations, maybe they are looking that they're looking for a different candidate. Pence is that guy, the traditional and well, you mentioned Huckabee earlier, where like the the, the the pastor, the the religion is a big part of it, this Christian nationalism, which we know is a, a big strain in the current Republican base. Could Pence capitalize on that? I'm sure that's what he's thinking, but I generally agree with what you said, Nikayla. Well, yeah. yeah, actually, just to build on that for two seconds, it, he can still be picked, but there's a pastor in the race called Ryan Binkley. Um, and so I wonder if Pence would be watching that and using that as tea leaves, like let this guy spend his money, see if it's moving the needle at all, and then just take over with a higher name ID and the same message. Um, but I don't know. That's what I would do if I was consulting for him. Send the check. Valid. Um, and then I think, I mean, I actually, this one is serious. I think Christy Noem, South Dakota governor, um, I think her last name, right? I never know. No, no, no. So, um, I actually think she would be pretty viable though, because I think, um, I just think she doesn't quite have the name recognition of some other candidates, but she has me. She's she did a lot of news and like COVID, like kind of made some big and made some big statements, and obviously around like guns and certain things. She's she's come out big on, but I think um, she actually can pull some of the like Trump farther right more but if they don't love nikki like i think she's gonna the same again if you want like a female candidate but you want like really far right i think she can pull better on those um i feel like she has like a lot of skeletons in her closet (laughs) but yeah she's fallen at least rhetorically on the on a better side of the spectrum with the trans issues though like she actually has gotten flack from the right this doesn't help her in a primary but like, yeah, 
I see her running just to be if I'm, if I'm gauging everyone on the scale of homophobia, she's actually not the most homophobic person that we've talked about today. So yeah, no, but I see her running just to like be the VP nominee to like a DeSantis or to like be the cabinet in the cabinet. Like I, I see her running as like a mock thing more for a, a different goal actually. And I think she could actually be better at that. Yeah. That that's really interesting. It, almost like a Buttigieg in the the Democratic uh, primary, where it's like, yeah, maybe you kind of have a brief spark, but what you're really doing, you solidify. You go from governor to cabinet to exactly. now. I'm looking at 28 and 32. Yeah, exactly. that's that's a really interesting point. Yeah, and I do think it'd be. I mean, that's a whole other thing we could talk about for a while. But like, if it, as you know, being that the ticket is Biden Harris, you know, assuming, like, I do think it'd be smart if the Republican nominee is a man to put at least a woman's like some like again maybe it's nikki though maybe it's not you know there's a whole other but like so it's not trump pence again but who knows it could definitely it could be the same ticket who knows it's, it's totally possible so yeah all right ricky back up for your third round pick ricky do you have a candidate here no i'm not really i'll throw out a name i i like someone like a glenn youngkin again like trying to figure out who could be a, uh or who might like be able to say I have like broad appeal. I want a state like Virginia um, as governor when, you know, Virginia has been leaning more and more left in recent years. I, th- I think possibly, I don't really know much about him at all, but I'll, I'll throw that name out there. Virginia has a one term limit on governors. So he actually doesn't have to care if this hurts him politically or like th- there's no gubernatorial re-election which would have been an odd numbered year after it would be in 25 so there's really nothing for him to lose and he's very independently wealthy so um you know he could he could do it but i don't think he would be the nominee but i think he could have a good run his uh, and all of his stuff centered i mean really great polling on his campaign um really great marketing to women and families on his campaign as well yeah and mo as you know living in virginia but like made education a huge part of his campaign to win in virginia and that's something that's kind of come back into the republican platform such as it is these days of things that people care about i think he said he came out and said that he wasn't running this year and then everyone was like oh he's out and then he kind of someone on his staff clarified that he wasn't declaring this year which made me think like huh interesting uh We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Well, you're back up. I'm going to go. My last two picks are both mayors um, and they are very optimistic, but I am, I'm a mayor first kind of a political gal. Um, I'm going to go mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, um, who is young, attractive on the right side of a lot of policy issues. If he can, do for Miami what every failing Democrat-run city across America can't do, right? If he can say, I run Miami as a tight ship compared to the San Diego's LA, well, less so San Diego because they're a little more conservative down there, but like the LA's, the Denver's, um, the Portland's and Seattle's, I think that he can have a really big splash. I think He's probably not polished on the national stage, but he has some national donors that are eyeing him and behind him. And if nothing else, him running will set him up for a future run as well or a cabinet position. 
yeah, he's a super interesting guy and has done great work down in Miami. For people that don't know about him, it's it's a name to kind of put on on the radar again. Probably not a serious candidate, but at this point, we're very much in the long shot candidates anyway. And uh, yeah, and uh, like now, I'm just comparing everyone to like who ran in the Democratic race, but like a Julian Castro in some ways, or like then all of a sudden, like oh, it's a name recognition, get another spot. That's interesting. Uh, I to wrap up the third round, I am going to take Chris Christie. Uh, who has been back in the news lately. He's his classic, like, uh, who's going to prosecute Joe Biden? Who's going to prosecute Donald Trump now, right? He's just kind of changed the, like, the, the prosecutorial shtick into Donald Trump. But he's he's been making the, the rounds on, on the news stations and says that if, if, if you're going to defeat Trump, you've got to take it to him, unlike what many of the leading presidential candidates are going to do. Because as I think, Mo, you said earlier, like, we know that Trump's you know, like bulletproof in some ways. And so if you are a serious candidate going after him is only really going to hurt you. Christie says that like, that's not a winning strategy if you're going to be serious about capturing this nomination. So I'm going to get up there and go right after Trump. Is that a winning strategy? I don't know. He is, he has some of the lowest polling numbers out of anybody that is not the bandied about um, for Republican uh, presidential candidates and did very poorly in 2016, but he is a very effective debater and having him in the mix would certainly, I think, be interesting. All right. I think uh, we're at the point where we're going, Ricky. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess there is something to be said for like, you know, why, why would anybody pick like a Trump like candidate when the real thing is there? And so if you're going to be a Republican running, you better figure out a way to separate yourself from him. And really the only way to do that is to go after him. Is Chris, is Chris Christie going to win that battle? I don't think so. I think it may get Nate Vest and try and take Trump out alongside himself than more so than it is like a, you know, direct hit. Yeah. Essentially like what he did to Rubio back in New Hampshire, back in 2016. Um, And I think if, if you are, if you are another like leading presidential candidate, you probably want Christie in the race to do all of the dirty work that you don't want to do yourself. No, I think that's what I think that Nick Nikki's like, I think they want as they want Trump, they want Pence, they want Santos, they want Christian, they want all of these guys. Because exactly your point, I don't think it's going to splinter Trump a lot, but every little bit counts to make any of those candidates viable. It's the only way I think it can happen. Yeah. Or they start really interesting i think most of it just see when they actually start dropping and who they endorse will be very interesting and very telling too that yeah all right uh, my last pick and the first pick of the fourth round i'll go back to the governor well i think we've had a a number of governors that we select either current or former and take brian kemp from georgia um which is maybe not the governor i think there's one other governor out there that we haven't mentioned but i don't think kemp has indicated at all that he has any interest in running i don't necessarily think that he is going to run but i think if three months from now we're looking around and none of these lower tier candidates have caught fire and trump and desantis are still looking vulnerable for their reasons that people could persuade someone who won convincingly in a purple state over one of those like hotshot democratic candidates in stacy abrams twice did better the second time against her, even as Georgia's turned more purple as someone that has true conservative bona fides in the South, but is clearly palatable to enough moderate uh, voters 
think he could maybe get talked into running. Again, we're at this point in the draft that I don't know that any of these people are serious candidates, but that's, I think he's a, he's a long shot possibility. Mo, your last pick. Um, For my last pick, I'm just hoping anyone that listens to this Googles her. Her name is Mayor Maddie Parker of Fort Worth, Texas. She is one of the youngest mayors in U.S. history, let alone currently serving. She is one of the very few mayors of large cities um, in the nation that's a woman. Um, She's a Republican woman uh, serving at the municipal level. She, the reason I'm upping her, aside from the fact I'm a huge fan of her, and if the rumors are going to start, I would like them to have come from me. Um, But she is speaking out right now very actively in favor of the bill before the Texas legislature to ban or limit um, the sale and possession of certain assault style weapons, um, which we know is is daily in the news, but has unfortunately and heartbreakingly been daily in the news in Texas specifically. So um, really interesting, like just carve out could see her going viral, you know, if, if the, the, the moment's right, but really just give her Google and support her and whatever she decides to do. And her name is Maddie with two T's. It's like two T's, i.e. Parker. Going off the board. This is, that's an interesting pick. I think people will be going to Google that one. All right, Rick, uh, you're up for your last pick. This, yeah, this is just straight off of Google because I'm fresh out of names. Uh, Larry Elder, I think, is the only one of like the declared candidates that we haven't covered, except for, well, I guess we touched on the the Binkley fella. Um, but he, like, most famously tried to get Gavin Newsom from California sort of unseated, and that did not work. His, like, uh, the ballot measure to remove the governor failed pretty, pretty spectacularly, but he's kind of got that, like, Rush Limbaugh, he's, you know, charismatic on the radio. I think he's got a decent following that way. Maybe he could do something. I I don't know, and I do not in, endorse his candidacy. I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that disclaimer, Ricky. I'm sure people are really worried about that. All right, uh, Nikayla, you can you can wrap it up here. Who do we got? For- okay, I'll take a, a totally random one, too, then, because I was going to take somebody. I feel like we didn't have anybody from Texas, but then Mo covered that because I was going to take somebody from Texas. But I'll, I'll take one that I think kind of following a Trump path. I think Dr. Oz, is that crazy? Because he had name recognition. He could, I mean, I know he lost, so it's, but he could take the name recognition. I mean, he lost in a swing seat. He, just by a little, like, it wasn't crazy. And I think he could almost appeal to, like, the Pence, that, like, religious base, that, like, kind of, um, and again, it's just like that celebrity like running almost like, I feel like we don't we have a lot of politicians running so following kind of what Trump did in 2016 like take the celebrity and and run so that's my random one yeah he is Muslim correct yes. he's Muslim but sorry not same religion but just like religious sorry no, I get that but um just in terms of the diversity space too right like thinking about this would be a first you yeah. know I can see a space for him like I mean it's not yeah exactly like it's I, I, does he do well I don't but no. Yeah. All right. That's it in the books. Names that were possibilities that were not mentioned. Um, John Bolton, Perry Johnson, Mike Rogers, Greg Abbott, uh, Marco Rubio, Will Hurd, Liz Cheney, 
Um, if, if they didn't make our top 16, they probably don't have any, much of a shot. Uh, but those were well, names. book is really good. Go All read right. Wilford's book. I like him. <laughs> and Liz, I mean, would love for Liz. Some of them would love for Liz to run. It's not nothing against her, but yeah. <laughs> so as, as I said at the beginning, hopefully, and who knows how this turns out, we'll come back with the same crew in, in maybe six months, and it'll be interesting to track who's risen, who's fallen, and which of these candidates are still viable six months from now. But if you've listened this far, you've got a pretty comprehensive overview of the Republican presidential field. And if there are names that you didn't know, but were maybe intrigued by our comments, definitely go and, and look them up. And Trump will suck up uh, an enormous amount of oxygen, and DeSantis will probably suck up much of what is left. But there are a lot of really talented, diverse, in many ways, candidates who are probably going to throw their names in, in the ring in, in the next few months. With that said, um, Mo and Nikayla, do either of you any final comments on on the on the field at this point? Run for office locally. I, I do actually think that the up and down ballot aspect of a presidential election cycle is really interesting to me. You know, like I don't want whoever on the top of the ticket to tank everything for everyone below them. And that historically or recently has been true. Um, It wasn't true in 2020 for Congress, right? We had the most diverse slate of Republican women, like da, 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 right. Um, But I just think, you know, Local candidates run on local issues, please. And, you know, you can turn out your own segment of the population and you can have crossover voters for the first time in a while as well. I was saying, is there any chance that Biden's not the nominee on the other side? Do we talk about it? You guys need a whole other podcast episode for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll bring you back for that if that that ends up being the case. But uh, thank you both again for your time and all of your knowledge with with that stuff. I think it's definitely broadened our perspectives, and hope people enjoyed it as well. And again, like like I said, hopefully we'll we'll do it again in a few months. Thank you both. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head and folks of different minds Because even though we did not share The pains we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill, quiet truth is better than a rain. Somewhere along the line, we seem to have forgotten the values sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, the morning let your ego bruise, but what I wouldn't give for the Hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. 
folks of different minds Because though we didn't share Opinions we share Like American ideals Friends made over arguments In an early morning bus I need an early morning bus There's hope behind the bluster Cause though Main Street may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find And change the lines head Folks with different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz oh, What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lives had Folks with different minds Because though we did not Share opinions we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments in an early morning bus. I need an early morning bus.